Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The Court of Justice for the European Union has ruled in favour of convicted killer Graeme Dwyer in his challenge against Ireland's data retention laws. Russian forces killed entire families, raped women in front of their children, carried out torture and looting and crushed people under tanks for pleasure. That's according to Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, who claimed it in an address to the United Nations Security Council. Some of them were shot on the streets, others were thrown into wells, so they died there in suffering. Keir Doherty sits down with the Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath, as the cost of living continues to spiral. And the Chief Medical Officer, Dr Tony Houlihan's new job, hits the headlines. We need to have a plan that brings the country through what is an exceptional period of high inflation, particularly relating to fuel costs. Get in touch on Twitter with your comments and questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky today accused Russia of committing the most terrible war crimes since the Second World War. In a graphic address to the United Nations Security Council, he accused his Russian counterpart Vladimir Putin's forces of creating mass starvation and shooting and raping civilians. I'm addressing you in memory of the civilians who died, who were shot and killed in the back of their head after being tortured. Some of them were shot on the streets, others were thrown into wells, so they died there in suffering. The civilians were crushed by tanks while sitting in their cars in the middle of the road. Now, Europe correspondent at Euronews, Shona Murray, joins us uh, from Strasbourg. Thanks for joining us tonight, Shona. Um, Vladimir Zelensky, we heard a, a little bit of what he had to tell the UN Security Council, not holding back on, as he called on them to act now or else just dissolve itself. Yeah, that's right. I mean, described in harrowing detail the grave war crimes he's borne witness to in Butcha over the past few days discussions around the use of rape as a tool of war, the witnessing of children, the rape of their mothers, the slaughter of innocent citizens, the cutting out of tongues of citizens, mass executions. And he called for essentially, you know, restructuring of the UN Security Council because Russia as a permanent member of the Security Council can easily veto any resolutions when it comes to Ukraine, which it has been doing for the past 10 years when it comes to Syria and any resolutions, basic humanitarian access and resolutions against Bashar al-Assad. It's been doing, it's been blocking for the past 10 years. So he made the point that if there isn't reform, then how can someone like Vladimir Putin or Russia uh, face justice? Now, Shona, the European Commission has also confirmed an import ban um, on Russian coal and a ban on Russian ships uh, entering EU, EU ports. It's all part of their latest sanctions package. Tell us more. 
Yeah, so the EU is constantly working on new sanctions and the Commission already has laid out sanctions in the event of grave breaches of the Geneva Conventions, the use of chemical weapons and so on. And after what we saw in Bucha over the past few days, you see um, serious war crimes and atrocities uh, committed uh, using conventional weapons. So obviously the EU had to respond and we've seen the first time energy sanctions, 4 billion euro worth in relation to coal, sanctions on uh, the uh, the industries such as agricultural industries, four new banks uh, representing 23% of the Russian banking sector. Nothing on oil or gas yet, but Ursula von der Leyen did say that there will be discussion about sanctioning oil and that the gas sanctions will probably evolve over the next few months because as we see this war being prosecuted by Putin, it'll be morally repugnant to allow any EU member state engage in any sort of transaction with Russia, particularly for the amount, almost a billion euros a day when it comes to energy transactions. So I think that's something that will evolve. I mean, you know, the EU really is waiting for just another round of atrocities to happen. I spoke to NATO sources tonight that say that Butcher is really just the start of things to come. Mm. Uh, on to other news uh, and this European court ruling um, that came today in respect of data retention uh, around investigating serious crime. This has implications not just here in Ireland, but right around Europe. Yeah, well, it does because it's the European Court of Justice, so it deals with every member state of the EU or any other state that's in the in the European Court of Justice. But the case itself isn't surprising, not just because of what the Advocate General said a few months ago, but because uh, the widespread indiscriminate retention of data was deemed uh, invalid back in 2014. And as the court said today, this is uh, very much case law um, ever since. So... Um, you, it's likely that jurisdictions would have already made legislation that would be within the parameters of what the EU privacy laws allow, um, which is targeted data retention rather than widespread um, indiscriminate data retention. So we don't. It's not. It remains to be seen essentially how the the implications of this for the investigations of serious crime. Okay, Shona Murray, Euronews uh, Europe correspondent. Thank you for joining us from Strasbourg tonight. Appreciate it. Well, as you heard there, convicted murderer Graham Dwyer has won a significant legal battle in his attempt to have his conviction for murder overturned. Europe's top court confirmed this morning that Ireland's system of retaining and accessing mobile phone metadata breaches EU law. Such data was a key part of the prosecution's case against Dwyer in 2015 when he was convicted of the murder of Elaine O'Hara in August 2012. Well, joining me now is People Before Profit and Solidarity TD Mick Barry, Green Party TD Nasa Horrigan, Special Correspondent with the Irish Examiner Mick Clifford and Associate Professor of Law at Trinity College Dublin, Owen O'Dell. Um, to come to you first, Mick, and remind us of the key part that this um, mobile phone data played in the case and in the prosecution case against Graeme Dwyer for the murder of Elaine O'Hara. Yeah, I think some of the original evidence that was found was a mobile phone and they were able to connect uh, communication between Graham Dwyer and Elaine O'Hara on a number of occasions and track the, where the phone was. Um, so it, it, it was a large part of the prosecution, but it wasn't the only part of the prosecution, but it certainly fed into the overall case. Yeah, and there were a lot of details given around text messages yeah. and all of that throughout the course of the trial as well. It would have, it would have, as you say, been be, be one of one of the key parts, I suppose, of of the case. Absolutely, as, as it has been for a number of prosecutions, particularly 
um, in some instances, uh, murder prosecutions like this, but as well, to a large extent, organised crime. A huge amount of prosecutions in relation to organised crime relies to, to either a greater or a lesser extent on telephonic uh, traffic. OK. Um, Onodell, take us through this. This is being seen as a big legal win for Graeme Dwyer. Now that the European Court has confirmed its decision, it didn't come as a surprise, I think, to many who've, who've been looking at this case and watching what's happened over the years. How much is weighing in his favour now that the, the appeal is due to take place? Well, it's like um, it's the end of the first half of a football match and he's 1-0 up. And that's, that's about as good as it gets for him at the moment. There is still the entire second half to go. That is the Supreme Court decision when it comes back. And then um, the extent to which he can rely on that to appeal his conviction uh, in the Court of Appeal and then perhaps the Supreme Court again and then perhaps even the Court of Justice again. So there's a whole other second half, extra time and maybe even penalties before this is decided. Now, it's interesting listening to Shona Murray there when I say what implications will this have in other European countries? Mm -hmm. She said, well, this has been played out and essentially has been case law since 2014. Yeah. But it's a big deal here today, isn't it? Because there hasn't been much action since 2014. Am there, I right? Absolutely. There has been, it seems, uh, significant and perhaps even deliberate inaction. The decision in 2014 was a decision taken by, uh, in a case taken by Digital Rights Ireland against the Irish data retention regime uh, and the Court of Justice struck down the underlying directive in 2014. So we have known since 2014 that there are at least questions to be asked. Um, we, we knew in 2016 when the Court of Justice reaffirmed it and it has reaffirmed it every year since. So that by the time it got to the Advocate General before Christmas and the Court today, the Advocate General and the Court were exasperated. Oh no, here we're being asked the same questions and we're giving the same answers again. Um, so it's been perfectly clear since 2014 there's a problem. It's been clear in Ireland at least since 2017 when Mr Justice Murray, the retired Chief Justice, published a report saying that there is a problem. The government published a bill at that stage, which um, after pre-legislative scrutiny has just been gathering dust. OK, well, I want to ask you, NASA, about that. What, why is this the case? We knew back, about it back in 2014. It's been back and forth through the courts. Um, and now we've got this European court ruling that was all very expected. Um, but nothing's been done. No, I, and I think it's a fair comment and we, we need to, to move ahead with that legislation now. I, I think that what has been useful is to get certainty around what's, in what circumstances we can have targeted retention um, and where you can have perhaps a freeze on data um, and the retention. But I have to say, none of those domestic aspects, if, if and when we do implement them, would really have dealt with, with the Dwyer case in, in the way that we would want. Um, but I, I have to say that it's very hard to defend the fact that we haven't moved forward with that legislation and I think it's something that now we need to put pressure and I need to put pressure as a backbencher on the government to move ahead very quickly on. Is that a failing on, on behalf of the Department of Justice? I think what has happened is that we have pushed forward a huge amount of legislation in the last two years because of the public health um, pressures and um, a whole number of other legislative issues and it simply has been put wrongfully probably on the back burner. Ignored? Yes. Um, Mick Barry, what do you take from, from all of this? Clearly, it has highlighted the fact that the state have failed to act around this. But you'd wonder the implications it would have had for court cases over the years since then. Yeah, I think there's two points that I would like to make about this. Um, first of all, we, we have to remember the case that we're dealing with here. The killing of uh, Elaine O'Hara, uh, a brutal killing of a young woman, uh, one of 244 
femicides that we've seen in this state in the last 25 years. Uh, and the idea that there can be any question mark uh, over the conviction because of the way that this case was handled is, it, it, it must be uh, extraordinarily difficult mm. uh, for her family and friends. I think that's an important point to make. But in terms of where we are now, I mean, you asked the question, Claire, there, failings on the part of the, of the Department of Justice. The answer to that question is yes. I mean, for eight years now, uh, they have, uh, there has been inaction. And if they were taking a gamble that this case was going to break their way, well, surely that was, I'd be interested in hearing Owen's opinion, he's the legal expert, but it would seem to me that that was quite reckless, very reckless, mm. uh, in terms of the cases that have built up since that time and what might happen with them now. Yeah, uh, this is the big question about the implications for all cases. There, there has been a drop-off in, in the use of, of this, you know, mobile phone data retention in the past few years, hasn't there? So there has been some action that investigators aren't using it as much in cases in order to, to, to find prosecutions. Well, we don't know what other evidence there might have been in some of the cases uh, that Mick was talking about where uh, mobile phone uh, data retention was used. Um, we do know that in the... Um, uh, in the Dwyer case, there's a lot of other evidence as well. It was a two-month trial. There was a lot of evidence um, uh, that wasn't just the mobile phone uh, evidence. And in the uh, other cases at the moment that are pending, uh, the, the, the guards and the prosecution are relying on other evidence as well. So yes, there is now beginning to be a recognition, but it's, it's a, a very belated recognition. Um, uh, whether it'll make any difference to Graeme Dwyer. I mean, it'll make it, 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 it could make a potential difference to other cases, certainly, where they won't use this mobile phone evidence now. But whether it'll make a, a difference to Graeme Dwyer, well, the Supreme Court will have to decide the basis on which the legislation is incompatible when it comes back to the Supreme Court. And that will then turn uh, or um, determine whether the evidence is admissible or inadmissible mm. in the appeal, in the criminal appeal. And Mick, we've, we've heard from Garthi on this, and, uh, who've said it is a key part of, of fighting crime is to have access to data such as this. Is this going to be a real problem for them? It'll be a certain problem, Claire. I mean, I was, I, I attended the first, I think it was the first case where this kind of communication was used. That was, it was the murder trial of Joe O'Reilly back in about, 2007 and I still clearly remember being in that courtroom for the first two or three days and saying to myself the guards have very little on this guy at all and then suddenly they tracked a mobile phone from Fibsborough where he claimed to be up to the knoll where the murder had been committed and back down again and I can still recall the feeling inside in the room that day that you realise my god they have this guy you know, as far as I was concerned, there was no way he was going to get off after that. Now, that was the first one where it was used. It was used very successfully. Would he have been convicted without that? I don't know, but it was certainly a central plank of the whole thing. There have been a number of cases like that since then. As Owen says, you know, OK, perhaps there's other evidence that they didn't concentrate on much when they had access to this. But there's no doubt it has been serious dereliction of duty. I think that it has been prioritised over the last eight years and predicting that this fatal day would come, which puts the guards in an invidious position one way or the other. OK, well, we have to turn our focus back to Ukraine now. Vladimir Zelensky's most senior advisor has called on Ireland to support 
Ukraine's application to join the European Union as quickly as possible. Speaking to Virgin Media News correspondent Zara King, Mr Zelensky's deputy head said that the president will ask the Irish government to support further sanctions against Russia when he addresses the Oireachtas tomorrow morning. I have to thank uh, Ireland uh, because uh, your country hosted many Ukrainians and uh, I was told that now Ireland is, you know, having uh, blue and yellow colours, the colours of Ukrainian flags. Many thanks uh, for your government of ordinary people of Ireland who, who are helping uh, Ukrainian refugees. All of them, believe me, all of them, all of Ukrainians want to come home back immediately as soon as war is uh, ending. So this is our aim for them now to be in the safe place. But immediately after the war ends, they have to come back in order to participate personally in reconstruction of the country. And we expect to hear from President Zelensky. He's going to address our parliament, our Dole, tomorrow. And what is he likely to say in that address? Well, definitely he will thank uh, uh, the Irish people and Irish government for what is doing, for what has already been done. But at the same time, since you are one of the active members of the uh, European Union, he will definitely speak about additional sanctions. Uh, and he will definitely speak and he will definitely raise this topic of Ukraine becoming a member of the European Union as soon as possible. We deserve this, uh, this right. We are defending now not only ourselves, we are defending every European country, every European nation. You see Ukrainians, they're absolutely Europeans. And uh, uh, we do understand that Irish people would support Ukraine entering uh, the EU. Both yourself and President Zelensky have uh, been working non-stop since the war began. How are you coping? Are you sleeping? Are you getting a chance to rest and see your families? Well, my president is a real hero. I mean, uh, he's uh, he works 24-7. Uh, he His working day is uh, consistent. Besides the, the, the leading the war at the forefront, he's constantly speaking with the, with the, with our commander-in-chief and all the uh, people who are waging the war. Uh, his second task is having this diplomatic activity. He speaks up to 10 telephone calls uh, every day with the foreign leaders. Yes, uh, tomorrow he'll be speaking in your parliament. Before that, he was speaking in for the parliaments of the world already of the European Union. So he's doing fine. He's an example for all of us, and not only for Ukrainians. I think he's an example of for the world how you can cope with this aggression and how you can win. Something I wanted to ask you about, uh, just I suppose on behalf of particularly the small children who've come from Ukraine to Ireland who go to bed at night wondering when they will see their fathers again. Will there be a time where you will reconsider that uh, situation where men cannot leave Ukraine if this, things continue on for several months? Will there be an opportunity for families to be reunited? We are hoping so and we are doing all the best for families to be reunited but because unfortunately there are lots of examples but if you ask the children they do know what their fathers are doing, they know that they protect the land, they draw their pictures you know, uh, with uh, uh, examples how Ukraine is fighting and how Ukraine will win. Okay, talking all about um, what is happening and the situation in Ukraine there. And we do have Vladimir Zelensky who will be addressing the houses of the Oireachtas tomorrow. He'll be calling on Ireland to do more, Mick Barry. Uh, but you don't think Russia should be sanctioned at all? Well, I think it's very clear that even before Busha, uh, that the Russian army was responsible for horrific atrocities uh, in Ukraine. Uh, and if... Uh, even a fraction of what is being said tonight about Boucher uh, is true, then they stand absolutely condemned for horrific acts. I would just pose the question, I think there needs to be a debate around this, 
as to whether uh, uh, sanctions are productive or are they counterproductive. Now, there's no doubt that the Roman Abramoviches of this world uh, are hit somewhat from, by sanctions, but are the people who are hit heaviest by sanctions the ordinary working people in Russia itself? For example, the day in which McDonald's withdrew from Russia, uh, more than 60,000 jobs mm. at the stroke of a pen. <coughs> And a key issue for me is, does that tend to uh, push people away from the Putin regime, or does it push it behind them? Does it allow Putin to say, look at them, look at the West, they're attacking our country, they're attacking you, fall in behind the government? And I think there's a strong argument that there is, and I think those points need to be discussed and debated. I'm raising them here tonight. Uh what, what do you think about that argument, NASA? I mean, it, it hasn't stopped the war to date. Um, now, they don't have the key sanction, I suppose, around Russian oil and gas. That's the one that's yet to be made by Europe. But all the same, does make up a point there? Well, I, I think it's totally valid to discuss what are the sanctions that we should take and how much sanctions could, should we take. I am very glad today to see them starting sanctioning you know, fossil fuels and, and that um, sanction on oil. I have to say, the reality is money talks and your average ordinary Russian is supporting Putin right now. And if you want to get a sense of whether people will support a government who is hitting them in their pocket, unfortunately, look at the discussion we're having at the moment around the cost of living. When people are finding it difficult, they will hold their government to account and we need the Russian people. We need them to see what's happening in places like Bucha and hold Putin to account. And there is no real other way to do that than to sanction them. I have to say, up to now, the fact that they've managed to stable, stabilise the ruble you know, is worrying. The sanctions aren't having the bite that we would like them to have, so we, we do need to go further and deeper. Yeah, of course, that all takes, you know, as we keep being told, this is a Europe-wide decision that has to be made on this, um, Mick, um, and that, you know, for now, we're not going to be making any stand on, on oil and gas. No, I don't think as an individual country we're not. And, you know, there, there is a legacy problem, and that is the reliance that there is on gas from Russia, particularly from in the likes of... Germany. But ultimately, I mean, the alternative is if you don't impose sanctions, do you just continue on a commercial basis with Russia as it was before, despite it becoming a pariah in terms of how it conducts itself and the war crimes that we've seen there? I, I understand Mick's point in terms of how it might affect the psychology of what you might call the ordinary Russians, but I don't think there's any choice but to do it. Bar using military action, that's the last thing anyone wants to do. OK, there, we'll have to leave it. My thanks to Professor Owen O'Dell. The rest of the panel will be staying with me. Coming up after the break, Kira Darty speaks to the Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath. Stay with us. Welcome back. The government is expected to make an announcement on the cost of living by the end of the month. Earlier today, Kira Doherty sat down with the Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, Michael McGrath, to ask him about these plans. Minister Michael McGrath, it's been reported that at ministerial level there is real unease now at the optics of introducing a carbon tax at a time when energy prices are absolutely soaring. Do you share that unease? Look, nobody wants to be increasing taxes at any time, but particularly taxes on energy at a time when energy costs have gone through the roof. The quantum of money involved here is very marginal relative to the kind of increases that we have seen. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So far uh, for a typical household in relation to uh, a gas bill, When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. It's one euro forty a month. Yeah, but minister, it's an extra twenty euro to fill up your tank with oil. It's not inconsequential if you simply don't have it anymore. It's not inconsequential. Um, every euro matters to people at this time. Uh, I fully get that. So we've given a commitment. We will find a way of completely offsetting that. But we need to go beyond that. So this is not the main issue. The main issue here is uh, spiralling energy costs directly associated with uh, the war in Ukraine. Uh, the carbon tax really has become a distraction in relation to the change that will take place on the 1st of May. And you mentioned the war in Ukraine and yet the governor of the central bank here said that war has yet to be reflected in energy prices. They're still to come. Yeah, I think certainly the official inflation figures uh, for Ireland have in some respects yet, yet to catch up with recent announcements from energy providers. So the official uh, measure of inflation, I think, is likely to go higher uh, for Ireland uh, over the weeks ahead. The Taoiseach today said that those carbon tax hikes are going to be offset. Does that include any specific financial support for people? We're not ruling anything out. Do you think it needs to? Uh, we've given the commitment that the, the change on the 1st of May will be fully offset and we will, we will honour that. But you know, that's not going to be any real comfort to people given how minor an issue that is relative to uh, the changes that we've already seen and some have yet to actually take effect. Uh, so we need to have a plan that brings the country through what is an exceptional period of high inflation, particularly relating to food fuel costs. So it's not just cost-cutting tips then? Well, the the thrust of the advice would be in general that measures are best designed uh, in a temporary and a targeted way. 
to people who most need them uh, and we hear that. But in addition there are many people who are perhaps outside of the fuel allowance net for example at the moment who are also under real pressure. Um, people who don't have public transport at their, uh, at their doorstep uh, who have to pay you know, heavy fuel costs at the moment to drive to and from work and drive their kids to school. Uh, we understand that so we do have to take uh, the wider view and we've responded to date. We acknowledge that we need to do more as a government uh, and that is very much going to be the focus of our work now. Okay, I understand uh, officials from your department are going to meet with public sector trade unions to talk about a new pay deal but also to talk about the current pay deal and this 1% pay increase that is due in October. Um, is there grounds for reviewing that given the cost of living pressures? So we have a deal uh, up to the end of the current year. Uh, I fully acknowledge that, that was negotiated in different economic times at a time in 2020 when there was little or no inflation. Uh, hard to believe now, such a short time ago. And I acknowledge that the uh, public sector union members are feeling the pinch and the pressure uh, in the same way that everybody else in society is. So I would like to see uh, a new deal or an extension to the existing deal because while the inflationary backdrop has changed, uh, the government is also facing very significant costs. When you talk about being straight with people, is the idea of a pay increase that matches current inflation unrealistic? Well, we'd like to have a deal. I think it is better to have a pay agreement in place because it does give you industrial peace but it isn't the case of get a deal at all costs. Uh, it cannot be, and these will be difficult negotiations. Pay agreements always are, but particularly at this time. And I don't believe it can be the case uh, that we will meet the full uh, cost of meeting the inflationary pressures that are there through increases in pay. Is this going to be more difficult because public sector workers who earn in excess of 150,000, as I understand it, are to receive a pay increase of anywhere between 10 and 15% come June? So this is the, the long tail of FEMPI, as it's called, the Financial Emergency Measures in the Public Interest legislation. And uh, under the uh, existing legislation, the very last people to get uh, pay restoration are quite rightly uh, the people at the top end of the pay scale. And the legal advice in respect of that has been very clear uh, up to this point uh, that uh, people have uh, a right to restoration of pay and indeed to a restoration of, of pensions uh, in general terms. Speaking of public servants, uh, were you aware that Tony Houlihan was moving from the Department of Health to Trinity College on secondment only? I think most people were under the impression he was leaving the Department of Health. Um, were you? Yeah, I certainly wasn't involved in, in this decision and um, there is a circular and a policy in place in respect of secondments and in normal circumstances the organisation uh, to which the person is being seconded uh, would pay the salary um, but it is up to uh, the line department or the public service body to enter into um, specific arrangements with uh, the body that the person is being seconded to and clearly that is what has happened uh, in this case I don't have all uh, of the facts to hand. Uh, it certainly has been the case whereby we have had people seconded into the public service and the civil service by outside organisations including the private sector and I'm certainly aware of cases where uh, they would have continued to pay the salary uh, of those persons even though they were providing a public service uh, here in uh, different government departments. Uh, so it, what happened in this case is consistent with the policy because there is that flexibility for the line department to enter into individual arrangements but um, it, it is normally the case 
that the body, the body the person is being seconded to would pick up the cost of the salary. Now, are you concerned then that that hasn't happened in this case? It, it is a matter for the Department of Health uh, to make the decision. I don't know uh, whether they have a reciprocal arrangement, whether anybody is coming from uh, Trinity to provide services into the Department of Health, or whether a certain amount of, of Dr. Hoolan's time is going to be to continue to support the Department of Health. I don't have a full briefing uh, on that at this point in time. But, uh, and you talk about normal secondment, but normal secondment is normally temporary and is for a specific limited period of time. This isn't the case here, this is open-ended. Um, yeah, and I think it is unusual uh, in that sense, and I think the default position generally should be that the body that the person is being seconded to out of the public service uh, would pay for the salary, but it is open to the line department to enter into specific arrangements if they believe that that is appropriate, and um, I'm sure they'll provide a full explanation for the context of that over the period ahead. Minister Michael McGrath, thank you for your time. Thank you. Well, still here in studio with me is People Before Profit and Solidarity TD McBarry, Green Party TD Nessa Horrigan and Special Correspondent with the Irish Examiner Mick Clifford. Uh, interesting to hear um, Michael McGrath there talk about this arrangement that's been made, Nessa, between Trinity College and the Department of Health. Normally the case being that the body that the person is being seconded to, i.e. Trinity in this case, would pick up the tab, would pay the 187,000 or whatever it is. But no, it's the taxpayer um, funding this role. What yeah, do you think I, of it? I think I have to say from, from that discussion, what strikes me is, you know, that the, the minister doesn't have all the answers there. And, and certainly, and I don't think I'm divulging any secrets, in our private meeting at the Health Committee today, understandably, this was a topic of conversation because I don't, I don't think the issue is secondment particularly because secondment, you, you know, the minister there is saying that it's consistent with policy. Secondment is, is pretty standard and, and like we've all run into people in departments who are on secondment. Uh, but the nature of, of the payment, um, I think the Health Committee certainly has questions about and will be pursuing. I have questions about it and I have to say, you can see from the Minister, is not entirely sure why it has happened that way. I'm not entirely sure why Trinity are getting somebody with the expertise of the CMO but not actually paying anything towards that. So unless there's a particular project that we're not aware of that, that, that is being done, I completely understand the concept of sharing skills and, and getting somebody you know who's very expert in to, to teach students. I totally accept that. But until there's more information, I'm not sure I understand how this decision has been made. What concerns were being expressed at the meeting today? So remind us what meeting that was. Sorry, I, I'm on the Health Committee and uh, unsurprisingly, we did talk about this. Uh, how, how is it that the department and the taxpayer is paying for somebody to work at Trinity and can we get more information? Because I don't think there was anybody at that meeting really who understood why that decision might have been made in that way. Okay, so that would have been cross-party TDs expressing yeah. their concern over all of this. Yeah. Um, you know, Mick, what do you, what do you make of it? it? It is unusual circumstances. We hear, we're hearing uh, Michael McGrath there appearing to distance himself from it. Micheál Martin sim similarly doing the same in the Dáil today when it was being brought up. I had no hand, act or part in this. Well, I have to say when I was looking at uh, Michael McGrath on the TV screen there in the dark room with the, the shadow <laughs> half covering his face, that it brought me back to Hall's Pictorial <laughs> Weekly back in the 70s. The Minister for Hardship, I was half expecting to see a light bulb swinging from left to right over his head and flakes of snow on the window pane. But just in terms of the, the Tony Holohan uh, issue, um, I, I think we could have a, 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 an interesting debate as to whether 
uh, anyone in this society is worth pay of €187,000 a year, but maybe that's a debate for another day. If he's going to secondment to Trinity, it should not be the taxpayer who's paying. Trinity College Dublin should be paying the wages. I mean, the, 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 another issue with all of this is, is who's making the call around this. We have Robert Watt, whose own salary has been called into question and the subject of much controversy, Mick, um, would have been involved in this call. Uh, none of this looks good and it's no. blowing up in the government's face. It doesn't look good at all. I mean, one issue just strikes me, if you look at universities in general, 187,000 is way at the top, top end of what even the most senior academics in universities could expect to be paid. Maybe that has some reasoning in terms of that, well, presumably Mr Hoolan wasn't going to take a pay cut, so the, is, is, is the department or the HSE paying for it? on the basis that uh, the university wouldn't be paying that kind of salary. I don't know. It's also conferring a huge benefit on Trinity College. Why Trinity College? If, for example, he is being paid by the state, continue, why not spread it around? If he has to uh, go on this type of con um, secondment, there's plenty of universities, not to mind institutes of technology, that could use the benefit of his experience. And to be honest with you, from the outside, it looks a certain to a certain extent, like, here, here was a man who did fantastic service for the state during the pandemic, and it's nearly like, is this a bit of a, a kind of a cherry or a reward or what have you? And I don't think that's really acceptable in this day and age, if that is something to it. But as Nasa said, there's loads of questions that need to be answered about the thing. Yeah, I mean, will those questions be, an be answered? That's the key thing well, here, Nasa. And what, we will I mean, be asking uh, them. Yeah, OK, so the Greens within government, what are they going to do about all of this? Well, as I said, there's a whole list of issues there that I have questions about, and I, and I don't think it, it stops and ends with me. I, I think, you know, there's a, a number of people, both in government and in opposition, who, who just simply don't understand how and why this, this um, decision was made. Is it being made, you know, is it a political decision or is it the permanent government? Is it, is it an in-department decision? And why it was made? You know, if it is an issue around um, a, a salary and wanting to stay at the same salary... Why isn't it not the base salary of the university plus a top-up, for example, for, for a particular Should service? Should it be reversed, do you think? Well, until we know more about it, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I, I couldn't say. But it, it seems extraordinary and, and, it, and it, it is questionable and, and I think we will be I mean, we're in questions. the middle of a cost of living crisis right now. Absolutely. Uh, 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 it, it is very difficult to understand why that, that so decision was made. are we going to see the Green Party huff and puff and nothing really happens again this time because... When we had the issue with the, the senior civil servant in the Department of Health, Robert Watt, and the pay, you know, miraculously going up to, what was it, 288,000 a year, we heard the huffing and puffing, and that was the end of it. He got it's the two, not about the he, Green Party, he, though. He got the two... Well, you're part it's a, it's, of... No, no, you're, sorry, you're, you're sorry. Part, you're you're, you're, you're it, part of the government about, the last time I checked. So it's an issue for Fianna Fáil, an issue for Fianna Fáil, and an issue for yourselves. What it's about is public spending. And we, you're right, we saw what the Robert Watt decision... That, that decision was made in a room between, you know, yeah, he got between a, he government got a, partners. An 81 there, there and, 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 and that, that, issue, that issue has come up Did you over and over again. And, and that sure issue has stopped. come up over and over again of what are the parameters, what are the processes whereby we give away public jobs or we appoint people to public jobs. We have dealt with some of that through things like, you know, the, the appointment of people to boards. But there's a, a, a bigger issue here, and particularly actually when it comes to issues like secondment, because we were offering 
often bringing in people who have particular expertise, and nobody denies that, but why and when they get those jobs. I mean, Matthew McGrath um, described it as a, a cosy cartel. Is that what this is? Well, I, I just think it's a larger issue. You know, you, you can see it, for example, with, with things like advisors and, and, and who you invite into departments. You know, why do certain people get jobs and, and why do they not? And, and I have to say, I think that that process is quite opaque at the moment. Um, and, and it, it I think... Well, is, that, is that something, I mean, you are a party within government. Is that something you're going to do about? Yeah, I, I, about? I, I think that that is something that we are looking to deal with and I and I think that issues I mean, like this new. and the it's not new and it, you know it's it's not it's not a creation of of the green party it's not a creation of this government but I I do think that there has to be processes in place whereby the appointment of people is clear and not opaque all right okay um looks like I mean change has been called for for a long time around issues like this then they then they blow up all over again yeah. all eyes turn to it and then Often it goes away again, Mick. Yeah, and it, it feeds into, you know, the, the, I suppose the most toxic trope that's around in politics at the moment, this notion of an elite who basically do what they like. And this, again, feeds into it. Now, there may well be logical reasoning behind it. There may well be a, a case to be made. But the huge thing is nobody is making that case. And what really, I think, grates with a lot of people about situations like this, if this is going to happen... And if it's being conducted within government, why is it not laid out at the time or prior to the actual appointment, the complete reasoning behind this? And that immediately, it, it, when that is not done, that immediately gives rise to the same thing. We're back to these people are on the inside. They do what they like, etc. Mick, Mick that, that, that is one of two things that are grating with the people watching this on the sofa tonight. Yes, I agree with you. It's the fact that the government haven't set out, have, have kept people in the dark and haven't provided any information. But the other thing that grates with people, and it probably grates with people even more, is you have people who are to the pin of their collars in terms of trying to pay the bills and make ends meet at the moment. We've had some families who've been forced to make choices as to whether there's going to be food on the table for everyone every day or whether we're going to be able to heat the house. We can't do both. And to see this kind of carry on with you know, huffing and puffing, I'll say it again from the Green Party. But we'll Mick, see Mick, as, if, if we'll you see as to whether that, If you want to change that, then maybe we should do something about Ukraine and actually put sanctions and pressure on Putin. You're the person who's saying, let's li just forget about that and let's okay. just deal with the domestic issues. I, I think that's the biggest case of deflection we've seen on the Is show. Is it? Right. Tonight. We're yeah. going to have to leave it there. Lots more after this break, including what you need to know if you're planning on travelling abroad this Easter. Stay with us. Welcome back. People Before Profit and Solidarity TD Mick Barry, Green Party TD Nasa Horrigan and Special Correspondent with the Irish Times Mick Clifford are still with me and uh, Irish Examiner, I beg your pardon, and <laughs> giving you the diff a different job there Mick, and uh, Manager of JK Travel, Jackie Spain joins me now via Skype. And Jackie, I want to come to you because we're talking tourism and, and, and getting away for the Easter break. Just how busy is Easter expected to be for travel bookings? And how will the boundaries be tested by these staff shortages at security at Dublin Airport? 
Um, good evening, Claire, and good evening, panel. Um, it is extremely busy, and they're expecting a lot of heavy traffic um, over the next few weeks. And there is certainly a shortfall with staff. Um, DAA are apparently recruiting um, up to 200 people. They need um, 300 staff to, to run efficiently. Um, but they're, they're well short of those figures at the moment. But it's not just within Dublin Airport, it's internationally. I mean, Heathrow Airport are currently recruiting 12,000 staff. It's it's all over. Everyone's having difficulties with staff. Um, so for the next few weeks, we're saying to people certainly to go in plenty of time. If your flight, you know, where you traditionally would have went maybe two and a half hours, go three and a half hours for international, four, four and a half hours before your flight. And just be very, very sensible when you when you're packing for the airport and when you're going with your your hand luggage through security to to be more cautious than you normally would. There's just no need for three jackets and belts and high heel shoes. Just think about how you're going to approach security and how quickly you're going to move through it. Yeah, because it's it, it's likely to take some time, isn't it? Because even on. Um, um you know, around uh, St. Patrick's Day, we saw a lot of people choosing then uh, to go away in a break. And, and, and we heard of, of hours long queues to get through security. Easter is bound to be a very busy time. I mean, are people thinking of cancelling holidays over this? Are they worried they actually won't get to go on a flight at all? Because that's what happened just a couple of weeks ago. Indeed, indeed. Now, fortunately, um, myself or indeed any of my travel colleagues um, hadn't experienced any of our clients missing their flights. Um, but there has been a, a bit of a a lot more interest in fast track um, to, to speed up the process. However, fast track have suspended their service for the, the time being. Anybody who is already booked, they are honouring that booking. But um, for the time being, fast track has been suspended. But people have been inquiring about it where perhaps they wouldn't have before. So we're just really urging them to, to go early. Go early. Well, look, that's the travel agent's advice. Um, but this is really, I mean, we had, it's been brought before in Iraq, this committee and the whole uh, issue. Um, Kieran O'Donnell of Fine Gael saying an emergency plan is now needed and talks being held between management and staff. And we also had that pitch from Michael O'Leary saying, bring in the defence forces. Now, so what do you think of that idea? <laughs> uh, I was rolling my eyes off camera at that because Michael O'Leary is such a champion of, of his own private business. I, I, I think maybe uh, bringing in the army is a bit of a ludicrous suggestion from Why him. Though? Well, I, mean, I have to say, I, look, it's, it's actually... It, if, you're, if, you're, if you're facing the issue that people are missing flights, hours long wait, they let go of 1,000 people during the pandemic, that's the DAA, and they've only rehired 100. There's two things here. First of all, it's not for the army to bail out a semi-state body that you know really should have the data to, to be able to plan its staff. And look, the, the issue here is the terms and conditions of employment are poor and therefore they can't recruit staff. It seems to me that they're not giving people a full week of hours. The pay isn't particularly good for the level of responsibility you have. If you want people to work for you, you have to make it worth their while. I think what we learned from COVID or over the COVID period is that people sat, you know, had, had, had to stop working and realised, actually, is this worth my while going back to a job that doesn't respect me, doesn't pay me well? And, you know, is it worth my time? And I, I think the DAA need to ask themselves, are they paying people enough? And are the terms and conditions of the employment enough to bring people in? Yeah, the, the issue here is low pay and poor conditions. 
I mean, some of those workers are paid as little as 14 euro an hour. And the contract is sometimes 20 hours a week. So, you know, you come home potentially with less than 300 euro. And in return for that, you have to be on call and, and up two o'clock in the morning, half two in the morning, etc. Is there any wonder that there's a crisis here. So sort out the issue of low pay and there'll be no need for any army in I mean, relation to this. It's a highly responsible job. I it, mean, Absolutely. And, 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 and we heard the defense, and we actually the DAA um, Chief Executive Dalton Phillips um, in front of the Oireachtas Committee on all of this, trying to defend... Yeah, that, and, and, that, and that there, there was a, what I understand is a relatively generous voluntary redundancy, people who were on staff contracts, and now you have this precarious contracts on low pay. There's one other issue as well, though, Claire. We're talking about the Easter weekend and everybody flying off. Uh, last Monday, sorry, yesterday, there was an IPCC report in relation to climate change, and you'd have to wonder, are all of those flights necessary? I mean, when are we exactly going to start changing the way we live if the climate is that important? NASA's in full agreement. Here, here, yes. But we don't have time to discuss this further, <laughs> but of course we will again. That is it from us. My thanks to the panel, to Jackie Spain, who joined us via Skype. Kira Doherty will be in Cork tomorrow night to look at rising inflation costs, but from all the late team here, good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.